0: Judges chapter 18, hear now the word of God. In those days there was no king in Israel, and in those days the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in, for until then no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. So the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and from Eshtaol, to spy out the land and to explore it. And they said to them, go and explore the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. When they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. And they turned aside and said to him, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What is your business here? And he said to them, this is how Micah dealt with me. He has hired me and I have become his priest. And they said to him, inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. And the priest said to them, go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. Then the five men departed and came to Laish and saw the people who were there, how they lived in security after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting, lacking nothing that is in the earth and possessing wealth, and how they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. And when they came to their brothers at Zorah and Eshtaol, their, their brothers said to them, What do you report? They said, Arise and let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. And will you do nothing? Do not be slow to go, to enter in and possess the land? As soon as you go, you will come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious, for God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is in the earth. So, six hundred men of the tribe of Dan, armed with weapons of war, set out from Zorah and Eshtaol, and went up and encamped at kiriath in Judah. On this account, that place is called Mahanadan, to this day. Behold, it is west of kiriath and they passed on from there to the hill country of Ephraim, and came to the house of Micah. Then the five men who had gone to scout out the country of Laish said to their brothers, Do you know that in these houses there are an ephod, household gods, a carved image, and a metal image? Now, therefore, consider what you will do. And they turned aside there and came to the house of the young Levite at the home of Micah and they asked about his, and asked him about his welfare. Now the 600 men of the Danites, armed with their weapons of war, stood by the entrance of the gate. And the five men who had gone out, had gone to scout out the land went up and entered and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, while the priest stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men, armed with weapons of war. And when these men... Uh, And when these went into micah's house and took the carved image the ephod the household gods and the metal image The priest said to them. What are you doing? And they said to him keep quiet Put your hand on your mouth and come with us and be to us a father and a priest Is it better for you to be priest to the house of one man or to be priest to a tribe and clan in israel And the priest's heart was glad He took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image and went along with the people So they turned and departed, putting the little ones and the livestock and the goods in front of them. When they had gone a distance from the home of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house were called out, and they overtook the people of Dan. And they shouted to the people of Dan, who turned around and said to Micah, what is the matter with you, that you come with such a company? And he said, you take my gods that I have made and the priest and go away, and what have I left? How then do you ask me, what is the matter with you? And the people of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows fall upon you and you lose your life with the lives of your household. Then the people of Dan went their way. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his home. But the people of Dan took what Micah had made and the priest who belonged to him. And they came to Laish, a to people quiet and unsuspecting, and struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon, and they had no dealings with anyone It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rehob. Then they rebuilt the city and lived in it. And they named the city Dan after the name of Dan, their ancestor, who was born to Israel. But the name of the city was Laisha the first. And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Everyone who starts a new religion or a cult can expect dissent, can expect disagreement, opposition. Of course, they don't want it, but it is to be expected. There's a little-known group in Mormon history, which our LDS friends would like us to forget, and perhaps many of them themselves don't know. You may know that Mormonism began in Palmyra, New York, under the false prophet of Joseph Smith, Jr. Early Mormons eventually found their final home, at least a permanent home, for, uh, for themselves, In utah but it took them many years to find a resting place for them that they might live in peace apart from persecution when they were in missouri they experienced a lot of persecution for their cultish beliefs denial of the trinity was significant belief polygamy was you can imagine also a controversial position to hold Smith and other leaders knew that they needed protection. They needed a way to justify their journey westward. A secret group was then organized. A group of 300 men set out to ensure a place for themselves in America. America, for them, was the new Israel. And they saw themselves, these early Mormons saw themselves as true Israelites against godless Gentiles who have just gotten in their way. The secret group was formed for the purpose of, quote, plundering and murdering the enemies of the saints. The saints being the Mormons. So literally killing non-Mormons who opposed the Mormons' journey westward. Not the Gentiles that were converted, but those who persecuted the Mormons. I will not offer you the details of what these men did time and again, but I don't think I have to. The name of this group, this army for Israel, was the Danites. The first general of the Danites, in a very moving speech, drove them to action. He says, "'Know ye not, brethren, that it soon will be your privilege to take your respective companies and go out on a scout on the borders of the settlements?' And, and take to yourselves spoils of the goods of the ungodly Gentiles? For it is written, The riches of the Gentiles shall be consecrated to my people, the house of Israel, and thus you shall waste away the Gentiles by robbing and plundering them of their property. Without a doubt, these Mormon men were inspired by the Danites in our text this morning. Clearly, in the minds of these early Mormons, America was their possession. It was their inheritance. It's little known that early Mormons believed that the Garden of Eden was in Missouri. And that the Ark of Noah is in the Carolinas. Don't know if it was north or south. It's one of those. And so, hey, this is their land. There's only one thing for them to do. It is to take this land in the name of Elohim, in the name of Heavenly Father. Well, today, in the minds of these Danites, Laish was their allotted portion from God. There's only one thing left for them to do. It is to take this land in the name of Yahweh, in the name of the Lord. Does the book of Judges, does Judges 18 in particular, give approval to this kind of conduct? This kind of taking, taking, and taking? The answer is yes, if you let idols be your guide. So then the real answer is no, because nobody should have an idol as his guide. The main point in the message this morning is that true worship in the sight of the king leads to true prosperity, peace, and fullness. Or if you are disappointed that I didn't give you a third P, plenitude. One of the attractions of idolatry, and again we're talking about idolatry in this in this text here. I want to look at five different aspects of idolatry. And one of the attractions of idolatry is its apparent success. This is a lengthy chapter. We can get lost in some of the details here. But remember that this is a past episode. This episode, this event happens before the various judges came on the scene. Remember, Judges 17 through 21 are the epilogue of the book of Judges that actually tell us what happened before Othniel, the first judge. It is a flashback to the conquest. And why would the author of Judges do this? To tell us that the book of Judges ends where it began. That it just devolved and devolved. Things did not get better for the Israelites in the period of the Judges. They got worse. As we saw last week from Judges 17, this chapter, uh, Judges 17, addresses private worship, household worship, family idolatry. But now this private household idolatry has gone public. It has gone from a house to a tribe. We're dealing with the Danites here. The tribe from which Samson will one day come. So here's the situation. The Danites have uh, this, this quest. They are seeking their God-allotted inheritance. And that is good. And that's actually what distinguishes the Danites from the Mormons, the early Mormons that I mentioned in the introduction. The Danites have been given a promise from God to take the allotted inheritance. Mormons were not given a command from God to take America, okay, and to do what they want with those who did not bend the knee to their Mormon ways. So, so far, so good. Danites seeking land. God had promised it to them. Remember, the land of Canaan was going to spit out the Canaanites, and then the Israelites were going to possess that land. And it was good because that's the promised land they've been waiting for for hundreds of years. So these Danites, at least the spies, they come to Micah that we saw last week. They come to Micah's house. They consider Micah's successful household. They consider that Micah has his own priest, this Levite. And they want to know if they will succeed in their search for the inheritance. And the answer they are given is, go in peace. What you are doing is under the eye of the Lord. The Danites look at Laish, and they say, look at this land. Look how calm, look how peaceful this land is. Look how unsuspecting these people are. The Danites spies and tell the the rest of the tribe, it's now time. Let us no longer delay. We can take it. Piece of cake. And as they're on their way, they stop at Micah's house for a quick ransacking. Remember, the spies go in, and then the 600 men are just outside the gate. Men of war. A big threat. And why would they do this? Why would they ransack Micah's house? Because with more gods and with Micah's priest on your side, surely you will not be stopped. Surely you can do all your will offended micah tries to stop them he ends up catching up with at least the, the the last group in the caravan makes a stink about it says what are you doing and they're all upset with him and he's basically shut down he said they, they say to him if everyone hears you you're gonna die you don't want the people in the front to hear you they're gonna take you out so go, go home be quiet deal with it. The Danites, having left Micah in the dust and in despair, proceed and they easily conquer Laish. The title of the sermon is emphatic. There's a rhyme and reason for idols four times because of verse 14. Do you know that in these houses there are an ephod, household gods, a carved image, and a metal image? Four times, for the sake of emphasis, the author of Judges is telling us Idols pervade, permeate this house. And for the Danites, this was a good thing. Here we have ample cause, ample reason, then for taking Laish, gods will be on our side. And this is what is moving everyone in the story to sinful action. Idolatry is. And really, to love an idol is the same thing as saying to love the self. Because you use the idol for your own interests and to pretend that God is present, and aiding you. John Owen says, when Elijah derided the worshipers of Baal, the chief part was his derision, the chief part of his derision was he is on a journey. You have a God that is absent, saith Elijah, and the end of all idolatry, that is the goal of all idolatry in the world, is to feign the presence of an absent deity. All images And idols are set up for no other end but to feign the presence of what is really absent. And so, the idol serves as a placeholder. Really, for yourself. It's under the guise of God guiding you, fulfilling your wishes, strengthening you as you need strength to do this or that. And what about this Levite? We see in verse 19, they said to him, keep quiet, put your hand on your mouth, and come with us, and be to us a father and a priest. Do you remember, that's what Micah said to the Levite in the previous chapter. He says, I want you to be a father and a priest to me. And remember, he became a son to Micah. Levi became the religious rubber stamper of Micah's ways. And so they say to him, be quiet. Wouldn't it be better for you to be a father and a priest to us? Is it better for you to be a priest to the house of one man or to be priest to a tribe and clan in Israel? So the Levite leaves Micah to fight with the Danites. And we can be hardly surprised by this because he was not devoted to to Micah. He was a priest for hire. That's how Micah got him. He sweetened the deal. He said, I'll pay your way. I'll give you all the clothes that you need, the silver you need. Just be a priest, be a father to me. He's like, yeah, I have no other offers on the table. I'll do it. He had been a priest for, for sale. He had been playing minor league baseball, and these Danite dollar signs have captivated him. And he saw an opportunity no longer to play in the minors, but to go to the show. I guess, of course. Who would pass out this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go to the show and to play before all, to have a greater influence? Bigger is better, after all, isn't it, when ministries are concerned, when congregations are concerned. So he has gone from a rural church to a megachurch. He wants to have that greater influence. He can't be that effective minister if he's ministering to 20 people, 30 people. No, no. He knows his own worth. He knows his own reputation. He knows how effective he is as a Levite. So he has to then take that call to minister to thousands. And his idolatry served him well. Humanly speaking, he had succeeded, he had made it. Just look at him with the Danites go. All is well for now. And so there's this apparent success for for this Levite. But not just for him, for the Danites also. Remember verse 6. They ask if they will succeed. The priest says, go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. And so these Danites seemed also to have succeeded. Their Levite gave them peace. They heard what they wanted to hear. They had the religious um, approval, so they just... Went and took. They they came to Laish, they saw, and they conquered. And their idolatry served them well. They took the land, it was easy for them to take. They succeeded. Humanly speaking, they made it. They got the land they sought. They were successful. Well, one of the truths of money is that it can make you look very successful. Money in itself is not bad. But when you treat money as an idol, it's really bad. Sure, not all that glitters is gold, but gold does glitter. And gold is gold. Cash is king, as they say. Sure, you can lose your soul with it, but you can also gain the whole world with it, too. Don't you want the whole world? Money can, money can get, it, get it for you. But of course, true prosperity is not found in the idols, not found in money itself. True prosperity, true fruitfulness, true flourishing, thriving, is found under the eyes of the true King, Jesus Christ Himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And because of Christ, we can then say that we can be content. If we have food and clothing with these, we are satisfied. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Because he is our satisfaction. He is our true prosperity. We thrive because we are in him. He is not withholding any good thing from us. Our father in heaven loves us. Loves to lavish the kingdom upon us. We have all that we need. We have more than we ever wanted. The Lord gives us what we need. The Lord has given us Himself. The Father has given Himself to you. The Father has given you Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. And the Father has given you, and the Son has given you the Holy Spirit, who indwells you, who empowers you, who has sealed your redemption. What more could you want? You have all the riches in Christ. Idols don't satisfy. You might be superficially successful, but you end up empty. Well, look at verse 28. We see another aspect of idolatry, the brutality of idolatry. Verse 28 says, And there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon, and they had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rehob. Then they rebuilt the city and lived in it. So this verse shows us the result of the Danite brutality. The idolatrous heart will allow violence to lead the way to get what it lusts after. If violence is the means by which we can get it, then okay. One commentator says that this account of the Danite conquest is actually an anti-conquest account, a parody. So if you read Joshua 19, verses 40 and following, you'll see that 17 cities were allotted to Dan. Now, I know that there's a big section of Joshua that's hard to get through because it's just summaries of land to be allotted and then land, you know, taken. It's a lot of summaries. They're beautiful summaries because they are summaries of God fulfilling his promise. So they're worth the read. But I imagine we don't remember all the cities that each tribe was given. I know I don't. But of the 12 cities, Laish, Leshem, it was called Leshem in Joshua 19, was not among the allotted tribes, the the allotted cities. In fact, Laish or Leshem was taken by the Danites because they felt they got resistance. So they went to greener pastures. They went to easier people. It was hard to take those, set, those cities. What should the Danites have done? The Danites should have burned down Micah and his household. That's why I read Deuteronomy 17. To purge the evil from their midst. That phrase, which by the way, Paul uses in his letters to the Corinthians. To purge the evil. But the Danites don't do that. Instead, they burn down these unsuspecting, judgeless people of Laish. The Danites give the Israelites a bad name. Which I guess isn't saying too much, because pretty much every Israelite is giving the Israelites a bad name in this book. But they are bullies. They are oppressors. They are thieves. They are the victimizers. It isn't a sign of strength for the biggest kid in the class to find the scrawniest one on the playground, minding his own business, and then to force his face to eat dirt. You don't go to that The big kids say, wow, you have used your strength well. Your parents have taught you well how to use that power of yours. You really showed that little kid who was boss. Now, we lament the use of that kind of strength, don't we? The Danites then abuse their numbers. They abuse their army, their organization against, and here's a shocker, Gentiles. And at this, we might have some disconnect in our thinking say hold on a second i thought the gentiles were the bad ones i thought we're supposed to take them down well those that don't convert like uh, rahab yeah you take them down or those lands that are given to, to you yeah you you overthrow them you dispossess them of the land do you see how the author wants us to sympathize with these gentiles here In verse 28, there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon. Power in itself is a good thing because power testifies to God's eternal capacity to do all his holy will. But the victims all over the world, they know the harmful effects of power when it is mistreated, when it is misused, when it is abused. And here are non-Israelite victims. Here is a people without any military leadership, without any judge, without any rescuer. Here's a people that too often resembled Israel. Israel, that small nation. Remember, the Lord said, I'm not saving you because you're this like incredibly large nation. No, you're a small nation. I will make from you, I will make I'll make you a big nation. You'll be Abraham's gonna be the father of many nations. But the Danites have gotten too big for their bridges. And they are acting the role of the oppressor. Control, like money, can be a good thing. But as an idol, if that's the thing without which we cannot live, we have to control every single thing. That's going to damage our lives. It's going to damage the lives of others. The church and the world have seen this time and again with, say, celebrity pastors. Just because you're a celebrity pastor does not mean that you are a faithless pastor. Think of uh, John MacArthur, a faithful minister for over 50 years. Celebrity pastor, great influence. But some have abused their power, and there are truckloads of the abused. There are truckloads of the sexually abused. Think of Ravi Zacharias, for instance. There are, there are those who were under the bus that is Mark Driscoll when he was a leader of Acts 29 churches. And that is a bad testimony because some of these people were Christians and non-Christians. And, they, and these pastors are giving Christ a bad name. A child of an angry parent knows what it is like to be dashed to pieces, physically or emotionally, when she gets in her parents' way. The dad who cannot resist the alluring figures on his phone is a fool if he thinks that he is not leading his own sons to destruction. Such is the brutality of idolatry. You're leading your sons to destruction. The way of human power, the way of human control, is not the way to true peace. In Calvin's day, there was a, a woman. Uh, actually, she wrote this letter anonymously, but we believe that it's uh, Madame de Cagny. She writes this letter to Calvin and his company of pastors, seeking counsel, asking for uh, advice on what to do because her husband is a Roman Catholic husband. She converted to Protestantism, and she is wondering if she can escape, if she is allowed to leave, and if she will be sent back if she goes to Geneva. And this is a noble woman. She had all of the pleasures, uh, all the prerogatives of, being, of, of nobility. And she says, "Can will you accept me if I leave his clutches? And she said, I'm willing even to just be a servant. Because she couldn't handle it that her husband would force her to Mass. And you, we read the question and answer on Roman Catholic Mass. She hated idolatry. She wanted to do away. She wanted to be away from the presence of this idol. And she said, I'll give up the world. If I can just have some refuge. She prefers a life of service to the life of nobility. True peace is found under the eyes of the true king. Control is not a bad thing in itself. When we are controlled, compelled by the love of Christ, when the Spirit gives us self-control, and by that gift of the Spirit, we can go out and obey the Lord. We can go out and love one another. We can go out and use our own gifts, what God has given us, the abilities he has given us, for the glorification of his name. True peace is found in Christ alone, who is peace, who is our peacemaker, who has made peace between us and our God, who wasn't formerly our father, but who became our father because of the mediation, because of the peacemaking efforts of Christ himself. And not just peace with God, but peace with one another. True peace can be found in Christ and Christ alone. idolatry is successful at least on the surface idolatry is fueled by brutality or leads to a brutal end but we also need to see that there is a religiosity of idolatry it wouldn't be idolatry if there weren't a veneer of godliness in the case of the levi for hire he was happy to send these danites off with peace and verse 6 as you remember the danites asked him to inquire into the lord will we be able to take this there's no evidence that he actually did inquire He actually isn't promising the Danites anything. He just says, go in peace. What you are doing is under the sight of the Lord. Which really is a general statement. Everything everyone is doing is under the sight of God. This Levite gives these Danites the religious rubber stamp needed to conquer Laish. And look at verse 30 with me. And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves... And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. Here is potentially the most shocking verse in the whole chapter. I don't know if you caught it. This is a big reveal. Because remember, Judges 17 and 18 are one long narrative. One long account. So after 42 verses, we finally have a name For this Levite. Micah's Levite is Jonathan. And we say, okay, well, there's there's plenty of Jonathans around. What makes this special? Well, this is Jonathan, son of Gershom. And we say, well, Gershom. Gershom who? I don't think there are a lot of Gershoms in the scripture. But who is this Gershom? Gershom, you know, the son of Moses. What? You know Gershom, whom God almost killed in Exodus two, because he was not circumcised. Or the text could be understood as God almost killing Moses because Gershom wasn't circumcised. That's up for debate. But that Gershom, that Moses, Moses' grandson Jonathan—that's who this guy is. Which also tells us why this is in earlier. This is from earlier before the judges came on the scene. We say no way. And the author Judges says, yes way, way. And some of our Bibles actually read Manasseh instead of Moses. Because you just put an N in the middle, and it's very similar to Moses. Now, why would anyone do that? Well, scholars are agreed that this is a scribal addition. That rabbis were embarrassed by this. And so they changed it to Manasseh. Certainly not. It wasn't going to be the grandson of Moses, who was leading the Danites in this vicious, brutal attack against these unsuspecting people who would be providing the religious rubber stamp to Micah. No way. But if you can get a big name to support your cause, you can do a lot. And this tugs at our own heart's desire. We... The church loves to have her claims to fame. We just rejoice when that famous baseball player has made a profession of faith in Christ. And we say, now Christ can be a witness to the baseball you know, organization. Now, finally, we can get some traction because we've got a big name. By the way, did you know that our own presbytery has Kevin D. Young? I recommended his book in ABF this morning. Kevin Young, influential guy, big church. We also have Doug Kelly, retired professor, systematic theologian. We've got John Currid, archaeologist of the Old Testament. We've got Will Ross, Septuagint scholar. Yeah, we do. Our presbytery is stacked. We represent well. And wouldn't it be super cool if our Christian ed department was run by Arceus Froll? We wouldn't want to take him from glory, though. We want that, that big name. We want that um, the religion, that, that religious flavor here. We have Jonathan, son of Gershom, of Moses. our idols have an appearance of godliness of reverence just consider the the beautiful thing of love we all love love don't we first corinthians 13 whole chapter that's called the love chapter that's paul's love chapter we love love and love properly understood is a good thing a beautiful thing it's from love that god the father gave us his only begotten son True love is seen in the face of Christ. But love can, at least a misunderstanding of love, can function as an idol. It can function as a placeholder for doing whatever we think we want. Christians are accused of denying people their pursuit of love. Why? Because it doesn't match up with their own understanding of love. And plus, doesn't the Bible say that God is love? So how can you be against love? And how can you say that Love should not be found in this relationship or in that relationship. And here the world, but also the church, have overlooked so much sin because of love. Biblical language. Giving reason, giving biblical grounding for whatever the person wants to do. But true reverence, true godliness is found under the eyes of the true king, Christ himself. True love comes from christ christ is love he has shown us that look again with me at verse one we see then the defiance of idolatry in those days there was no king in israel and in those days the tribe of the people of dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in for until then no inheritance among the tribes of israel had fallen to them let's remind ourselves what lies at the root of all idolatry the self There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We're told in the scripture that the Levite's heart was glad. Remember, he was content to dwell with Micah in the previous chapter. Here, at the thought of having a greater influence, his heart was glad. But this gladness of spirit had no grounding in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. This Levite was not checked by the earthly rulers. The commands of the true king found no place in his heart. He exchanged the glory of God for the glories of riches and reputation. The Danites also, they defied the Lord's command for their inheritance. As I mentioned earlier, Laish was not part of Dan's allotted inheritance. But look at verse 10. As soon as you go, you will come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious, for God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is in the earth. So in this verse, the five spies seem to operate with that bold spirit of Joshua and Caleb. But this is too easy. It's quite different from the reports that Joshua and Caleb had given. It's quite different from the reports that the unbelieving ten spies had given. Remember what they said? We are like grasshoppers compared to them. Yes, the land is flowing with milk and honey. But we can't take it. We're just too small, too insignificant. It's too hard for us. And Joshua and Caleb said, Granted, it is too hard for us, but not for the Lord. Yes, we are like grasshoppers, but grasshoppers in the hand of God. They're a force to be reckoned with. We can go, we can take it, let's do it. But here the Danites defy the Lord and they sanction their defiance with their many idols. They have all the idols that they need. They don't need the Lord. So the self will refuse to get out of the way, but will now instead insist on its own way. I hope you guys know that it isn't just these Danites that we are talking about. We're talking about all of us. Every single time we sin, we are choosing the self over the Savior. Every single time we are saying, I know better than my Lord. I'm the one who will determine my course of action. The Lord will not. That's what we're saying. Surely the Lord doesn't want to deny me of this pleasure. And we may cloak our sin with the appearance of faithfulness, with the appearance of faith, with the appearance of the book language. We say, I'm going in peace. I've made this decision because I have a peace about it. And isn't that what decides right from wrong? Is my own inner calm. Well, Jonah had a peace. And he was utterly defying the Lord. He was snoozing in the boat. He had a peace. We say, look at what God has given me. God has given me a new wife. And we ask people to rejoice with us. Oh, never mind the, the old wife. Never mind the reasons we separated. Isn't God good? Rejoice with me. Or we say, I've worked so hard to get this promotion. God has rewarded me. Never mind that it means I can no longer worship him on the Lord's Day. There are six other days that I can worship him. And he understands. We have this veneer of godliness. But lack the power thereof. Lack the knowledge thereof. True fidelity is found under the eyes of the true king. True faithfulness is found under the eyes of the true king. What do we do with our idols? We attack them. Some of you have been victim to this bird over here to my left. It's a mockingbird. If you come, I've had to park elsewhere because this thing has attacked me too many times. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And I never knew where he was coming from until a few days ago. Found out he was hanging out on this lamppost. But I would get out of my car and look around. Okay, I don't see him. Start walking to the door and then gets me. I think he even grazed my ear once. Last Sunday, I had my suit coat. I wasn't wearing it, thanks be to the Lord. Because he was coming at me and I was like a matador trying to move this thing away. And why was he doing that? Was the red hair? I hope not. It was because there were these little chicks in the in a bush over there, and I couldn't I didn't know where they were until a few days later. I saw them chirping right outside my office window. Oh, that's where they are. He didn't let anything come close to that, despite my size and, of course, my um, strength was clear to him. My menacing posture. He was unfazed. He was going to have me for lunch. And I got to say, when I got out of the car this morning, I did run to the door. (laughs) (laughs) I looked around, I didn't see him, and I ran to the door. Nothing was going to get in the way of his chicks. He was attacking anything that threatened. Do we have that same kind of mentality with the idols? Do we attack nothing is going to get in the way of our love for christ Because he is too precious And the allure of these idols. Yes, is strong initially But it fades The last point here is the emptiness of idolatry verse 24 This would be humorous if it were not so tragic And he said you take my gods that I have made and the priest and go away and what have I left? How then do you ask me, what is the matter with you? He says, what's my problem? You've taken away my gods. You've taken away the gods that I have made. Surely you, you know the irony there. The gods that I have made. You've taken them away from me. You've taken away my own priest. What have I left? I have nothing left. Surely these idols are not God. God. Because no true God can be taken away by another. Our God cannot be made. He cannot be carved. He cannot be molten. He cannot be passed around. He cannot be acted upon. And here's a man who has gone from having apparently everything to truly having nothing. What does it profit Amica to have all these gods? He has now neither God nor the world. Everything has been stripped from him pursuing earthly pleasure, pursuing idols, is like eating cotton candy. Be not mistaken, I am not dissing cotton candy. Some of you know I have my own cotton candy machine at the house. True story. And it's delicious. And cotton candy is just so tasty. It is incredible. The height of sweetness and joy for the sweet tooth. Especially when you put ice cream on one layer and throw in some marshmallows and sprinkles and put Cotton candy on the top layer. It's beautiful. But what do you do with cotton candy? When the cotton candy touches the tongue, it is so fleeting, it just passes away. And you yearn for more. And you get a tummy ache. And you regret the decision until you get more cotton candy. So idols are, are like that. The allure, the, the, the pleasure is so fleeting, is so temporary. What are the idols in your own heart, Calvin reminds us that we, our hearts are idol factories. We're just pumping them out all the time. There are idols in our heart. they are idols in the world that threaten our own satisfaction in the Lord. Could it be entertainment, television, sports, watching sports, playing sports, electronic devices? Could it be your own beauty? Could it be drink or food? Could it be your spouse, your child, money, power, sex, health? What is it or what are they? All of these are good things in themselves. God has given us all these things. They're they're wonderful. But they can be used for selfish gain. They can be used to be distracted from the true worth. From God himself. You pick your idol and it will do the same thing as all other idols do. It will fail you. All idols never measure up. Because they are not God. Samuel Shaw, the Puritan, says a couple of things. However, men may contrive to cheat themselves, God is not truly great in the soul till all other things become as nothing. Neither doth the soul rightly converse with his infinite fullness, so long as anything stands in opposition to it or competition with it. He says, As long as you play around with that idol you're not going to see God for who he truly is. You will not see how beautiful he really is, how powerful he really is, how good he really is, how patient and kind and loving and wise he really is if you keep turning to the creation and not the creator. And he says, very first thing, men contrive to cheat themselves. He's saying it's, Those idols are not for your good. Though we continue to think that they are for our good, we are cheating ourselves because our true good is our true God, our triune God. True fulfillment, dear ones, is found under the eyes of the true king. Do you see, in this hard chapter on the reality of idolatry, on the wickedness of idolatry, do you see how it ends with hope? Verse 31, so they set up Micah's carved image that he made, hope's not there, as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. What does this tell us? But that God's house remained in Shiloh. Yes, there was set up idolatry in opposition to true God and his, his tabernacle. But this tells us that God did not destroy the tabernacle. God did not take away his presence from the people. This means that God's people, Micah included, the Levite included, these Danites included, didn't have to rival God. They could have come to the house of God to revere his holy name. It was there. The house of God remained standing. They need only to come. They need only to come and find the means of grace there. Then, God's heart was open to them. If they would repent and trust in the Lord alone for satisfaction, for peace, for prosperity, for fulfillment, for fidelity, they would have had it. God has given us his house of eternity. He has given us his heavenly Zion to ascend every single week. Can we then sing, and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace? By God's overwhelming grace, we can and we do, and we will grow from one degree of glory to another, because Christ is ours. Praise be to him and him alone. Let us pray. Our wonderful God, you truly are wonderful. And too often, Lord, we think that our sins, our idols, the fleeting pleasures of the world are wonderful and cannot be avoided. We pray that you would transform our vision. We pray, O Father, that you would cause us to see the true worth and beauty of Christ, of Christ alone. In his name we pray, amen.